Good morning, ministers. First, let me apologize for changing the script like I'm about to from the book of Philippians talking about finer things to the subject at hand today. Today we're going to be talking about sex. Wow, I said it. We're gonna be talking about sex and I know everybody is excited to talk about this, right? Yeah! Yeah. About 30 days ago, I was on YouTube watching one of my favorite teachers and I stumbled across a conversation on sexuality. And I was intrigued and very interested to listen to explanations that were being given. And I sat there patiently and I listened to the argumentation for a long time that night. And the next day, I found myself going back to listen to some more conversations. And the more I listened to these sexual conversations, the more intrigued, sometimes the more confused I became. I feel like the Holy Spirit was saying to me, this is a conversation that it is time to address. To teach the people what God says about sex and sexuality and gender and all of these things. But I was teaching on the finer things from the book of Philippians and I was thinking, you know what, we'll do that after I get finished with the book of Philippians. I'll get there, I'm gonna get there. Last week, out of nowhere, I had a conversation on matters of LGBTQ. And as I was having this conversation, the Holy Spirit confirmed to me, no, we're not gonna wait until the end of Philippians. We're gonna address this now. And here we are, talking about sex. It may feel awkward in church to talk about sexuality and things like that. Because the church has managed to separate theology from biology. The church has managed to separate theology from psychology. And so it doesn't feel like this kind of conversation fits the church. Shouldn't be preached from the pulpit. That God has no place in a discussion about my sexuality or about my feelings or about my gender. That is outside of the realm of spiritual things. But nothing could be further from the truth. I was driving along a few days ago, driving in my car and listening to Michael McDonald. Who knows Michael McDonald, the singer? Nobody knows Michael McDonald. Oh, I said, you know, I, I was going to bring the song and play it, but I said, that'll be kind of, you know, I don't need to do that. You guys know, Michael McDonald, 1970s, You Belong to Me. You belong to me, dun, dun, dun. you belong to me. Oh my goodness, okay, okay. So I'm, I'm rolling along and I'm, I'm rocking to You Belong to Me. Thinking about my wife, right? Thinking about, you know, you belong to me. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, it's, it's a really good song. Listen to it, Michael McDonald. You belong to me, my goodness. <laughs> Listen to it. I'm jamming, I'm rocking out, and in this moment of personal observation, I recognize within myself this passion. The more I sang it, the more passionate I felt. You belong to do, 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 do. And I'm beating the steering wheel to me. Passion. 
Passion is a strong and a barely controllable emotion, isn't it? When you feel passionate about something, you can barely hold yourself together. Passion, it's a powerful thing. Passion is so powerful that as I drove along singing my song and beating the steering wheel, I didn't even see the train coming. I was rocking. You belong to boom, 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 boom. And I'm doing what I was doing. I was actually dancing in my seat. I was rocking. I didn't, even, I didn't hear it. I didn't see it. I'm just going along. You belong to Whoa. Distracted by my passion. Human passion is a powerful thing. But sexual passion, sexual desire, is more powerful still. I know this subject of, sexual, of sexuality will feel uncomfortable and out of place. There may be some who think this subject should not be covered from the pulpit and not in this way. You might feel uncomfortable talking about sexuality in the church because sexual desire is so powerful. Let's not talk, let's not even go there, man. It's powerful. And you're right. Sexual desire is powerful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9, Paul compares sexual passion to a blazing fire. He says, but if they do not have self-control, if, if their sexual passion is so out of control, let them marry. Listen to this. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Burning with passion can feel like torment. Paul says, listen, before this thing blazes out of control, it is better for you to marry rather than to burn with passion. Sexual desire can make you feel like you're on fire, can it? You know, they say that if you get, if you get in a situation somehow that your clothes catch on fire and you're on fire, what's the rule? Who knows it? What do you do if you catch on fire? Huh? Stop, drop, and roll. That's very reasonable, isn't it? If your shirt is on fire, Calvin, just stop. Drop and roll. Reasonable and probably the best advice. But you know what? I cannot imagine myself being on fire and having the presence of mind or the patience to stop. Can you? I can't imagine me having the patience and the presence of mind to get down on the ground and carefully roll the fire out of my jeans. I can't even imagine that. If my shirt were on fire, I would be doing, oh, 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 oh. Ah, help me, help me, help me, somebody. Some guy over in the corner is saying, just stop, drop, and roll. I'm on fire. Calm down, calm down, and just stop and drop. And it sounds very reasonable when you just say it, when you're not on fire. But when you're burning, it doesn't sound so easy. Since sexual passion makes a man feel unreasonable, 
It makes a man feel as unreasonable as it, or woman feel as, as unreasonable as she can feel. It's like fire. So Calvin, don't even bother, man, because no matter what you say, I can't control this fire. Among all of the passions that may burn in the hearts of mankind, sexual passion is the most powerful of them all. And not just among humans, even among the animals. Have you watched National Geographic? Have you watched National Geographic? Have you seen that female goat up on top of the mountain on the ridge, just standing there looking just as pretty? to a goat. Have you seen those two billy goats run up the side of that mountain to get to her? They're both running full speed. She's mine, she's mine, she's mine. They get up to the top of the mountain and there's a standoff. We both can't have her. And I am burning with passion. And what do they do? they start running into each other's heads at speeds in excess of 60 miles per hour. And they just clash each other, boom! And when you watch it in slow motion, you see their whole body shake when they hit one another. And they back up and they do it again. Boom! And they back up, don't they? And they do it again. Boom! And they, they're gonna keep doing this until one of them submits and walks away, until one of them is knocked out or until one breaks the other one's neck. They will fight to the death, driven by sexual passion. That's how powerful it is. <laughs> even nature knows it. It's just as powerful and even more powerful in the hearts of humans. Sexual passion is powerful. Sexual passion will make a young man ignore his parents' directions and instructions. Sexual passion. It'll make a young lady leave off studying hard in school. Sexual passion will make a husband abandon his wife and his children. It will make a woman jeopardize her career. Sexual passion. Sexual passion and sexual desire will even make a man walk away from God. And I know this from experience. I've told you guys the story. I was a teenager, teenager, sitting at a restaurant with my little girlfriend. And we've decided we're gonna go ahead and make this thing official. <laughs> we're gonna go back to her house while her parents aren't home and we're going to engage and fulfill our sexual desires. I was a Christian raised up in the church and so, and, and so I'm sitting there and the Holy Spirit keeps nudging me and saying, Psst, this is not right, go home. This is not what you should be doing, go home. And I'm like, hold on Holy Spirit, I'm talking right now, I'm in love, I'm having desires, quiet down. And I'm having my conversation, we're making our plans. <laughs> and it comes time to go to her house. And I say, excuse me for a moment, I'll go to the bathroom. I went in the bathroom and I locked that door and I had a conversation with God. I'm going to bawl God out because I know my rights. And so I said, listen, God, I've been walking with you for a long time, but I have a right to do this. 
I'm, I'm, this is not a story. This is what I actually did. I have a right to do this. My other friends are doing it. I have a right to do this too. You can't stop me from doing this. And it is wrong for you to keep pressuring me when I'm asking you to leave me alone. I am asking you, God, to leave me alone. I said it. Filled with sexual passion. Man, sexual passion will make you defy God to his face. You don't have sense to fear because your passion is speaking so much louder than all of your other emotions. You're unreasonable. And the moment I said those words, man, I felt like everything went quiet. Like God was saying to me, you don't have to disinvite me. If you're telling me that you're not interested in my way, if you're telling me that you're not interested in my will, then fine, have your way. Do what you like. I stayed in the bathroom for 45 minutes waiting for that girl to leave. I was freaked out. Wait, I made a mistake here. I didn't mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't exactly mean, no, 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 no. You've allowed your sexual passion to make you make a decision that is jeopardizing our relationship. You are out of control. Now feel the consequences of what it feels like to be without me. That happened to me. I'm reminded of Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Paul says this, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. They did not give him thanks, but they became futile in their reasonings and their senseless hearts were darkened. Then verse 24 says, therefore, since their hearts were darkened, since they did not want to acknowledge God, since they did not want God around, therefore, God gave them up to vile impurity in the lusts of their hearts. God gave them over to their sexual passions so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for falsehood. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Paul continues, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. Not just sexual passion now, degrading sexual passion. What were these degrading sexual passions? Paul says, for their women exchanged natural relations for that which is contrary to nature. And likewise, the men too abandoned natural relations with women and turned in their desire toward one another, males with males, committing shameful acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, since they turned their backs on God, God gave them up to a depraved mind to do those things that are not proper, that are not useful, that are not beneficial. Let me say today, for anyone who may be listening, for anyone who may be present, 
who may be struggling with sexual desire, I want you to know that I know as a pastor and as a human that your feelings are real, that you're not just making them up. I know that's true. My heart goes out to you and I have compassion for you and mercy for you. And I want you to know today that you're not alone no matter what we Christians might say, no matter what any adult may say, all of us struggle with sexual passion. You're not the first one and you won't be the last. Every human struggles with sexual desire, whether it be man for man, woman for woman, or man with woman, it doesn't matter. All sexual immorality is the same. You're not the only one. I'm a pastor and I struggle with it. Every person who would be honest in this very moment struggles with it. It is not new. It is not unique. No reason to panic. No reason to fear. No reason to be afraid or ashamed. We humans have these different struggles. Let me also say this rather controversial thing. That sexual attraction is not a sin. I'll say it again. Sexual attraction is not a sin. A man being attracted to another man in and of itself is not a sin. A woman being attracted to a woman in and of itself is not a sin. You cannot control your attractions. Can anybody be honest and agree with me on that? You cannot control who you're attracted to. I am a married man, but every once in a while I do see a woman and I say, wow. Do you think I want to do that? Do you think I, would, I want to do that? No, I have no control over that. Temptation happens. This should be obvious to the Christian. Temptation happens. You cannot control your attractions all the time, but you can control how you respond to your attraction. That's the point. You may not be able to stop keep from having the thought. You may not be able to keep from having the feeling. But by the Holy Spirit through self-control, you can control yourself and not engage in the sin itself. Attraction is just a temptation. It is not a sin. I feel so bad for people who know they have these thoughts and these feelings within them, but they can't tell anybody because if they know I have an attraction, they're going to think I'm weird. They're going to condemn me. They're going to, no, no, brother, we all, have, we all have attractions that we shouldn't have. That's reality. I'm, I'm talking to grown folks today and to my young people. That's just the reality of life. There's nothing to fear. There's nothing to be afraid of. It is important that you get self-control that you understand God's will for your life and that you are able to restrain yourself. But the attraction itself is not a sin. That's just to comfort those who may be struggling because many people are struggling with this nowadays. It's just reality. And it would be abusive for me to stand here and try to pretend like, thus saith the Lord, and that's the bottom line. Everything is black and white. No, it's just not for us. It's reality. Let me also say this, 
God loves you. And no matter what I say, no matter what any man may say, God still loves you. And the door for you to come to yourself and to come to God is always open. There is nothing you can do that is so vile and disgusting that God is going to close his door. God loves you as much as he loves me, as much as he loves any person. That cannot be denied. That is true. It is also true, however, we learn from this text, that these are the consequences of humanity's decision to dismiss God and to dismiss God's will. These are the consequences. And as strange as this may sound to you, this is why I am not alarmed by the sexual depravity I see in the world today. I am not the least bit alarmed. Because from this text, I understand that God is allowing this. God is allowing people to follow their own impure desires. God is allowing people to dishonor and to degrade themselves by standing in opposition to nature. God is allowing men's minds to become depraved in response to man's unwillingness to submit to his will and design. While this month and today men, men, and, women may, men and women may be celebrating their independence from Christ's will, they may be celebrating today I'm here to tell you that tomorrow is coming fast. And when they finally begin to experience the result of their sexual revolt, many of them are going to cry out to God. That's the plan. God's decision to allow this temporary sexual insanity is actually a matter of his grace. Watch this. This temporary exaltation of sexual aberrations is both disciplinary from God, but it's also remedial. To teach men and women by severe experience the error of their ways. So that those who may be LGBTQ, who have veered off from God's sexual counsel and his decrees will learn by experience the futility of resisting the will of God and of opposing nature. God is allowing this. You know, some people, some people only learn by touching the hot stove. You wish it weren't so. Every parent wishes that their child didn't have to learn some of life's experiences by touching the stove. But sometimes, man, they just have to touch the stove. You tell them, listen, baby girl, don't have sex before marriage. 75% of all women who engage in sex before marriage and they become impregnated, they live in poverty for the rest of their lives. Don't go down that road. Please, I'm asking you, I'm telling you the truth. And she keeps on doing her thing and she keeps on doing her thing. And mom's up late at night waiting for her to come home. At some point, mom starts going to bed. So you know what? Touch the stove. Go ahead. Touch it. Touch as many times as you want. You're going to see the consequences of this. And I'm not going to be here to say, I told you so. I'm going to be here to try to help you raise your little babies that you, you know. 
Sometimes you got to touch the stove. And that's what God is saying here. You keep on pushing. You keep on pushing. You don't want to listen. You think you know better than me. Go ahead. Touch the stove. I'll be over here with the gauze and with the, disin- with the, uh, with the uh, what's that stuff called? The, the disinfect. <laughs> when you burn yourself, I'll be right here to mend you up. But I'm not going to keep on hounding you and chasing you about this. That's why I don't preach about this very much. I'm not going to keep on hounding and chasing people about these kinds of things. God is not hounding and chasing right now. God is taking a step back and saying, let me show you what happens when you disagree with the truth. This is the consequence. God is allowing mankind to wallow in the slop of their own sexual depravity to be driven by strong and uncontrollable emotions until they realize that sexuality is not something that we can choose like choosing a pair of shoes at a Walmart. It is bigger than that. It is bigger than you. That sexual passion outside of God's design is disastrous. And it is. You know who've been saying that for a long time and they're being shut down more and more nowadays? Psychiatrists have been warning about this for years, for tens of years, that the suicide rate among LGBTQ people is 40% higher than anybody else. That is not by coincidence. That depression rate, that the anxiety rate, is 60 and 70% higher than other people's. Psychiatrists have been warning about this forever. The consequences of sexual immorality is taking its toll. That's the truth. The world turns around and say, no, the reason people are depressed is because you're saying that they're bad, that they're wrong. No, 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 no. Research says that most LGBTQ people who commit suicide have recently had an argument with their other half, with their, with their partner, have recently come, recently come into some kind of financial ruin. Their world is crushing. Because of the decision that they've made. It has nothing to do with being insulted by somebody on the outside. No, it doesn't. When you act against nature, nature has a way of paying you back. I'm telling you, I'm just saying it straight out. Nature will pay you back. When you disagree with the, na- with the system of the world, with the way that God has designed this thing, you throw things into flux, into chaos. You throw your life into chaos. We're all standing around right now, like watching a train wreck, watching our dog going, uh, watching the weather, all out of control. Hurricanes in places where there have never been hurricanes before. Places flooding that never flooded before. Because of the consequences of our own actions. Because we have defied nature and in our greed, we have messed up our entire environment. You cannot defy nature and think that everything is going to be well. That's not the way this works. Nature has been authorized by God to do what it does. And when you stand against it, nature isn't going to say anything. It's going to show you better than it can tell you. When you defy God's command for sexual morality, you are standing in, in the way of nature, and nature has a way of bringing things back around. That's the truth. That is the truth. Psychiatrists have been warning about this for years, and nobody's listening. What is my purpose for talking about these things? My purpose is threefold. 
I'm going to be talking about this subject for the next couple of weeks. I hope that you won't miss one. If you missed, I hope you'll watch online. I'm going to be talking about this. The title of this series is called TMI. It's a joke. It means too much information. <laughs> too much information. And my purpose and my objectives are these. To teach us about God's design for humanity as it relates to sex and sexuality. Number two, to help us understand how and why people are engaging in this sexual revolt so that we can better show patience and compassion to them. And we have to be careful that we show patience and compassion with them. Showing compassion. But on the other hand, God has not commissioned us to judge other people. Our calling is to show the world the best way. The only way that will lead to salvation and the true freedom that they desire. So that's my second purpose, to help us understand how and why people are engaging in this sexual revolt and to help us discern how we can make a difference, how we can show empathy. My third objective is this, to prepare you for the fallout. Listen to this, to prepare you, to prepare us for the fallout that the world is going to undergo because of their unwillingness to honor God's design for sexuality. Now I'm gonna tell you what I truly believe. The fallout to this is coming. The fallout to these decisions that the world is making right now regarding sexuality, the fallout is coming. The fallout from the decisions and practices being made today are going to start reverberating in pulses of psychological pain and anguish within the next 10 years. I'm telling you, it's coming. How can I say that so certainly? If I go to Johnny at seven years old and ask Johnny, what do you think you are, boy, girl, or in between? What do you think, Johnny? And Johnny's first of all, like, I don't know what you're talking about. Why are you talking about this? You gotta know, Johnny, you gotta make a choice. You gotta make a choice, Johnny. You can be the rocker, you can be the scissors, you can be both. What you want, what you want to be, Johnny? You're seven, Johnny is seven. Johnny is called to make a choice. And so Johnny makes his choice. Well, I'm a girl. Soon as Johnny makes the choice, mom takes Johnny down to the clinic, gets Johnny some pills to change his hormones, his hormonal balance. Starts adjusting Johnny's DNA. Johnny's seven now. In 10 years, Johnny's gonna be 17. And when Johnny looks back and realizes, why did you respect the decision of a child? Why did you let me do this to myself? You should not have listened to me, mom. You should not have been listening to a, a baby. Why would you put such responsibility on my shoulders like that? I was six. Now I'm 18 and I can never have children. The fallout from this nonsense is coming. And when these little people come of age, man, they're going to be filled with unforgiveness and bitterness and regret. When they start realizing they've been duped by society, these children are going to be angry. They're going to be confused. They're going to be frustrated. And they're going to need somewhere to go. This is what's most important. They're going to need somewhere to go. And if we, the church, 
have been abusive toward them, if we the church have acted ill toward them, if we've degraded them with our words, with our tone, if we've rejected them, they're not coming to the church of Jesus Christ. Which means they're going to be left out there all by themselves, perplexed and confused. The fallout is coming. There is a natural progression to adulthood. There is a common and time-tested cycle for our human development. It's been this way forever. But in the world's strong desire to make others in their own image, adults are overriding the natural human development process of our children and laying out before young children sexual options and decisions that they are not even able yet to conceive. And this, brothers and sisters, is by design. This is a satanic plot. This is a masterful move on the part of our adversary because the devil and these adults know that if they just allow the young boy to grow up without giving him any options at the time, the world knows that most of these children would not choose the thing that they choose at seven. They know they have to get them young because if you wait till people get too old, nature is going to explain it. Without your help, nature is going to explain it. And so you've got to get to them before nature gets to them. That is the satanic plot of the century. It is clever, it is cunning, and it is proving to be quite effective. That we are making victims of our people. And when these people wake up and realize that they have been duped, brothers and sisters, the church is gonna be filled. If we do this right, if we do this right, the church is going to be filled. Because they're going to need someone to explain to them the true way of life, the design that God has laid out for them. These boys are going to become men one day. These girls are going to be formed into women one day. And they're going to grow up and become disillusioned and uncertain and insecure. Has anybody, has anybody ever been through midlife crisis? Most of you guys are not old enough. I know Robert and his wife have been through midlife crisis. Where, where you start like questioning your identity, you start looking back over your life and trying to redefine everything. My dad, okay, Terrell, I know you're looking, man. It's true. My dad went through midlife crisis, right? My dad would come walking down the street with a blonde wig and no shirt. I was too young to understand what was going on with him. I was like, this guy, what's, what's wrong with this guy, man? Proud as he wanted to be, man, with a blonde wig and no shirt. He was going through midlife crisis. He was recasting himself. He was trying to redefine himself. He was reworking a lot of things about his own identity. A lot of people go, through, I've been through midlife crisis. I don't have a blonde wig, but I went through midlife crisis. I went through that stage of redefining myself. You know, the, the first half of life is spent writing your story, and they say the second half of life is spent trying to understand the story that you wrote, right? So you get to this point where you stop writing so much. You stop writing the story. You stop climbing corporate ladders. You don't care about that stuff anymore. Now it's time to calm down and with wisdom begin to evaluate and assess what your story meant. 
That's wisdom. That's midlife crisis. It's right there in the middle between your past and your future, you know. And so you stand right there and, you, and you're confused. You're discombobulated. You're psychologically in pain many days. I was many days in psychological pain trying to reassess things. Imagine the boy who was 10 years old and made some sexual decision. And now he's at midlife. Imagine how much more difficult and how much more daunting it's going to be for him. Oh my. If you haven't been through midlife crisis, you can't really re relate to what I just said, but man, midlife crisis by itself is enough, man. You start adding on top of this stuff, sexual identities and all this confusion, you're going to have a discombobulated mess on your hands. Somebody's going to have to help you rework and retool and rethink. The church has an opportunity coming. I may not be around to see it. I may not even be pastoring when this happens, but it's going to happen. Because all of these people making these choices are not making these choices all for the same reasons. No, they're not. Some of these people are following their favorite singer. I remember, I, I, I remember when Obama, two weeks into office, two weeks into office, Obama's doing a press conference and he had the nerve to say this. He said, the black church should be the most accepting of LGBTQ people because we know what it feels like to be marginalized. Oh, no, you didn't. I stopped listening to Obama that day. I mean, what, what did you just say? You're the president, not the pope. The president is not over the church of Jesus Christ. What are you saying? What are you talking about? You don't give directives to the house of God. But now you have the most powerful person in the world opening the door. And every time somebody would come out, he and Michelle would be careful. And I'm not talking politics. I am not a political preacher at all. This is just, I'm talking about people with influence pushing this movement forward. I'm not talking politics. He and his wife would write a long letter. Congratulations for coming out. We're so glad that you're finally free. Like, what? What? Then you, you, you color the whole White House, all of these multicolors. People were watching this. And people were being influenced. To be LGBTQ is more popular than being straight. Maybe I should try this. If the president approves. Now every other week you have another celebrity. I just figured it out. I just figured it out. I'm fluid. I just figured it out. I just figured it out. I'm bi. I just, look. come on guys. Enough. They tell me when I say that I'm being insensitive. No, I'm not being insensitive at all. I'm not a fool. I'm a full grown man. And I know that it is not by coincidence that everybody is starting to come out at the same time. That is not some coincidence. Everybody's not waking up in the morning. I just figured it out. I, come on, really? No. That doesn't even make logical sense. Let me take it one step further. Children in California are becoming bi and this and fluid and all these things at a rate 20 times the rest of the country. Are you telling me that it just so happens that they all happen to be congregated in California? No, no, that's not what's happening. They're being influenced from the outside to make these decisions. Let's just be honest about this. And this is why when we're talking about having compassion and showing empathy for the LGBT community, I have all of that, but I'm not a fool either. 
You're not going to tell me this is who you are. No, you're not that way because tomorrow, if your favorite celebrity changes, you're going to change. You're following the crowd with the most important thing that God has given you, your sexual identity. It is not to be played with. It is not a game. It is not a joke. And by the way, it is not even yours. We're going to talk about that later. It's not even yours. You don't have the right to make those decisions. We're coming straight down the lane with the word of God. Our people need to hear this. This stuff doesn't make sense. Let's just be honest, it doesn't make sense. On the other hand, that doesn't mean that all of these people are being influenced from the outside. Some of these people really have feelings. And they've had these feelings before it became a fad, before it became popular. There was a young man on my block when I was growing up, his name was Mike. Mike was gay. Mike was gay when it was not popular to be gay. Mike was gay every day. <laughs> he didn't have breaks where he became, you no, know, every day. Every time I saw him, he was that way. My mother said, son, I can't explain it, but some people seem to, I don't know why. I don't know why. They would beat Mike up. They would talk about Mike like a dog. The next day, Mike would still be confident and proud. Mike was committed to that thing. People like that, you have to have compassion on. They are convinced within themselves. They're convinced really. They're not following a fad. They're so there are different kinds of people in this LGBTQ mix. And so we have to be cautious that we don't uh, overlook people's emotions and feelings. That's just wrong and that's just sin. We know it's just sin, but you gotta deal with people differently. You have to deal with people individually because some of these people are serious. Most of them are just chasing pleasure. I said that. Most of them are just chasing pleasure. It will be the church's role to answer the cries of these people when they start coming to themselves. And we will have to answer them with hearts of deep compassion. We will have to lead them to a place of healing, to a place of forgiveness, to lead them away from the suffocating sense of regret that will haunt them almost to the point of suicide. We have to be there to assist them to find their ways home. Today, the church is being silenced in many parts of the world. In Canada, in January, they signed a law that if you even say what I'm saying right now, you can get five years in prison. Did you know that? They call it conversion therapy for me to just say that that's not the right way. Five years in prison. We're being told that if we speak out against these sexual deviations, we're being hateful. The world is warning the church, hands off of our sexual experiment. And many within Christianity are frustrated with the feeling of impotence as we watch these children be infused with sexual poison and worldly contaminants. Many in the church are frustrated. We want to do something. We feel the need to say something. But because of our frustration, when we do speak, we speak with such disgust, we speak with such vitriol, that maybe the world is right. Maybe we are too angry about this. 
I, for one, think that we are too angry about this. And why are we angry? Why are we up in arms about other people's sins? I cannot speak for every believer. There may be many reasons that we're angry as we watch this sexual train wreck come closer and closer into, there may be many reasons why we're angry. I don't know all of the reasons, but what I do know is this, from James chapter one and verse 20, that man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. I know that's true. Neither speaking disparagingly out of my frustration nor political countermeasures, nor wagging my hands, nor my sense of righteous indignation and religious repulsiveness against the sexually immoral. None of these things will bring about God's desired result for them. My anger is impotent against the sexually degraded hearts and minds being produced by the world today. In other words, don't nobody care if you're mad, church. Don't nobody care about you being mad, church. Your anger will not work the righteousness of God in anyone. Your anger and your impatience with the world is not going to save anyone. So be patient. The time of heaven's response is going to come. But God will begin to speak to them much more clearly when this sexual revolution finally proves itself to be nothing more than an illusion when people finally come to realize that self-determination of their own sexual identity is above their pay grade, that they can't make that decision. When people finally come to realize that in a world so full of complexity, sexual simplicity is a real blessing from God. In a world that is so complicated, sexual simplicity is a blessing from God. There are only so many hours in a day. Man has even fewer allotted waking hours. There are only so many hours and days to a life. And it is a shame that man is wasting so many hours of his few days on the earth trying to figure out things that have already been predetermined. Reinventing wheels and recasting the narrative of creation. It is a shame that we are wasting so much time asking questions that from the book of Genesis have already been answered. And every moment we waste rehashing decisions about sexuality is time we take away from fulfilling our God-given duties and responsibilities of tending the earth and caring for God's creation. We're wasting our time. And our world is paying and our world will pay a price for the negligence and the dereliction of our duty as we have sought pleasure and self-gratification instead of seeking the will of God. And so even though this subject of sexuality is a subject regarding nature, sexuality, human sexuality is a theological concept. Human sexuality is a theological topic because the body belongs to God. God has already made certain determinations. God has already decided your sex. Did you know that? That God made your sex? That God chose your sex? 
Genesis chapter 5 and verse 2 says this, this is the book of the generations of Adam. On the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. God created them male and female. There is no spectrum between male and female. God only made two sexes, male and female. Just like he did the monkeys, just like he did the lions and the leopard and the bear. Male and female, there are only two biological sexes that God recognizes. And as the text goes on to tell us, these are the only two sexes that God himself has blessed. Listen to what he says. God created them male and female and he blessed them. He blessed these two sexes and none other. He blessed the male and the female, meaning that he spoke words of divine favor over them. God made your sex, brother. God made your sex, sister. This is not something you go to the store and choose. This is not something you dream up on your own. God made your sex. God made your sexual organs. If you have male sexual organs, you are a male. If you have male sexual organs, you are a boy, you are a man, you are a him, and you are a he. Contrary to what people may tell you, your sex was not assigned to you at birth. That's the new thing, my sex assigned at birth. No, your sex wasn't assigned at birth. No, your mother and father didn't assign you your sex. God assigned you your sex. All your mother and father did was made an observation of your body and knew which one you were. That's all they did. God assigned you your sex. Let's set the record straight. So they say that because they want to be able to say, mom and dad doesn't know what you are. Mom and dad, well, first of all, the Bible says, honor your mother and father. You should really trust the people who birthed you into the world more than you trust the world who has no, no, no uh, input, who has no benefit from whatever you become. They have no skin in your game. Your mother and father have skin in the game. They're not going to lead you astray. They love you. Why you would listen to somebody in a school that's telling you, A, B, I don't even know you, lady. I just met you in August. I'm not even going to know you in June. Why would I allow you to have that kind of impact? I have a mother and a father. I have mentors at home. But the world says, no, you don't have to listen to mom and dad. Mom and dad, they don't know what they're talking about. My mama, no, no, you choose your own sex. And what that's doing is, you're telling this child, when you're born, nobody has any answers, son. You gotta start from scratch by yourself. Your mother doesn't know anything, your daddy doesn't know anything, nobody knows anything, now go out there and make it work. Come on. What kind of irresponsible God would do that? And so they're wasting time trying to reinvent the wheel and not progressing in life because you're wasting your time trying to choose and decide things that have already been decided for you. God chose your sex. God assigned your sex. God decided whether you'd be a male or a female. And nature simply obeys God's determination and gives you the necessary chromosomes and DNA to obey what God has already decided. Young man, your hands are bigger than a woman's hands because you were designed for physical labor. Young man, your heart is bigger than a female's heart 
because you use more oxygen when you work. Your bones are more dense than a woman's bones. Your muscles are larger than a woman's muscles. I got a kick out of, uh, what's his name, that, that, that tennis guy who said uh, uh, that, that if uh, Serena Williams ever played, he said that if Serena Williams played against the weakest tennis player, the weakest male tennis player that exists today, she would lose. Everybody just went crazy. He said, if Serena Williams came over and started playing tennis against men, she would be like 150th. That's such an insult. Serena Williams got on TV and said, yeah, I can't play with the guys. They play too hard and too fast. They hit that ball too hard. I can't catch up with it. Yeah, because they have bigger hands, a bigger heart. They move fast. They have better reflexes. They have larger muscles and larger heart. They are different. My goodness. Nature is making it apparent that they're different. And someone wants to come to me and tell me, my imagination said that I'm not different. You can imagine whatever you'd like. You're not going to force reality to agree with you. And you're not going to force me to agree with a lie. I love you. I respect you. I respect your right to do whatever you'd like to do with your life. But you are not going to make me go against my own conscience and against the word of God. That's not going to happen. I'm going to respect you. I'm going to treat you well. But I'm not going to bow to your imagination. That is not healthy and that is not helpful for any of us to do that. We cannot afford to try to create some kind of world like it's Facebook. Face, the world is not Facebook. This is not imaginary. It would be irresponsible for me to agree with that. These are biological facts that cannot be disputed, brothers and sisters. They can't be disputed. I've been watching interviews of these people, and they're talking about their different sexualities. Did you know, did you know just in passing, did you know that in, in, in the UK, they now have over 100 different genders? That just sounds ridiculous on his face. They have over 100 genders. Every feeling is another gender. I had a different feeling, another gender. Oh, I feel like another gender. They're just making these things up as they go. And here's what's really frustrating about it. This is frustrating. It's just ever-evolving. The rules are never set. They just keep coming up with more and more and more and more stuff. Come on, man. Are you serious? And, I, and right now, right now, I'm going to be honest. I'm not talking as a Christian. I'm just talking as a man with common sense. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to have the Holy Spirit to know that this doesn't make sense. This is just illogical, period. I'm sorry, but it is. No, I'm not sorry that, it, no, I'm not sorry, it is. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't even make human sense. And so I'm watching these interviews and every time a logical question is asked about, the, every time this guy would ask a logical question that deserves an answer, if you're going to tell me I need to change my entire vocabulary, you're gonna tell me I have to change the way I see and perceive all of reality, but you don't want to give me any answers? That is disrespectful. No, we are not going there. You're going to answer the questions and explain to me how you've come to these conclusions. But every time anybody makes a demand, 
they would say the same thing. You, you, you're hateful. You're hateful. You hate. That, that's the answer to everything. You're hateful. You hate people. You hate everybody. You should be more compassionate. You should be more empathetic. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No. You're not going to evade logical questions. If what you are saying ha does not have a logical, philosophical explanation or foundation, it is not worthy to be respected. Period. We live in a world of reason. And let me just warn us all, if we start playing that game, I'm telling you, everybody can do that. The drunk can come to church and tell me, I'm a drunk because I like being a drunk. I woke up one day and I was a drunk. If you say anything against drunks, then you're hateful. The adulterer, the fornicator, the liar, the thief, the robber, they can all come and do that. And after a while, all the church can do is shut our doors and shut our mouths. We shouldn't participate with this. It doesn't bode well for our future. It doesn't bode well for the future of the world. That's just true. I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge today that there are some men and women who feel like they were born into the wrong bodies. They do exist. There are some biological males who actually feel like they should have been born biological females. They do exist. There are biological females who feel like they should have been born into a biological male body. That maybe God and nature made some kind of a biological mistake. But your sex, brother, your sex, sister, your sex is not a mistake. God was very careful and God was very meticulous in making your body. Psalm chapter 139 verse 14 teaches us that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. God paid meticulous attention to our creation, to the form of our bodies. He was engaged. God was involved. He did not make a mistake. Your sex is not a mistake. You are fearfully made. The word fearfully means to be honorably and admirably. You are honorably made, man. You are honorably made, woman. You were made very good, God said. Your sex is honorable. Your sex is intentionally determined. Your biological sex is not something to be ashamed of or afraid of. It is very good. That's what God says. Okay, well, Calvin, thanks for all the information, man, but I'm struggling with this and you're not answering my question. Why do I have these feelings? Why am I a man and feeling like I'm supposed to have a female body? Where are these feelings coming from? I could give you the regular answer, which is also true, because man is fallen. Get that, that challenge. That's the answer. But I don't think that's the only answer. I think there is a much more nefarious answer and I'm going to provide it for us from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verse 29, where King Solomon makes this profound observation. Listen to what he says. Behold, I have found only this, that God made people upright. Upright there means correct. That God made people correctly. I have found only this, that God made the right decision, that God has done a very good job of creating men and women, male and female. God has made men upright. 
God has made men and women appropriately. And no pun intended, God has made men straight. Not straight in the sense of sexual orientation, but straight in the sense of straightforwardness and simplicity. God has done it right the first time. But look at what he says next. He says that even though God has done it right the first time, humankind has sought out many schemes. You thought this just started in the 21st century. You thought this was some kind of new thing. Solomon way back then said, you know, God did it right the first time, but people, man, people are coming up with all kinds of schemes, making up all kinds of stuff. They are seeking it out. They're seeking out many schemes. To seek out means to discover or to demand. And many schemes means new ideas. God has made man upright, but humankind continues to seek out and demand new ideas. It has been King Solomon's observation that while God made humankind correctly the first time, humankind has decided that we have a better idea. Humankind disagrees with the way that God has made him. And as it relates to our topic today, much of humankind seems to believe that God's whole binary idea, male and female of the biological, is too narrow, it's too limited, it's too old fogey stogey. And they've sought out what they consider to be better ideas. God created the male and the female in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31. But man turns around and says, "Uh, it's okay, God. You did a pretty good job, but you kind of gave me some parts that I really don't need. Uh, And so, you know what, I'm going to figure out a way. You did okay. The first draft was cool, but now I'll finish. I'll take it from here. God did it right the first time, but man disagrees. And he shakes his fist at God and says, why have you made me like this? Why have you made me male? Why have you made me female? Why have you made this big mistake, God? That's something Paul said. And Paul says this, but no, O man, who are you to argue against God? Does not the potter have power over the clay to make of it whatever he wills? This is above your pay grade. You're talking nonsense to God. This is above your prayer. You don't get to make these decisions. God is the potter. You are the clay. And if you want to rebel against God, I'm not coming with you. I'm not putting myself in that situation because you're going to lose. We may lose the political battle. We may lose the social battle. But God is going to win this thing in the end. God's decision will stand. And every man, the Bible says, let every man be a liar. Let God be true. Don't call God a liar. Don't say that God made some kind of a mistake. For clarity, I want to make this clear today. For clarity today, we're only talking about biological sex. We're not talking about sexuality. We're not talking about gender. We're only talking about biological sex. I want to make that clear. And within the LGBTQ plus world, this conversation today only applies to the T. It's interesting, they say LBGTQ, and they make it seem like they're all the same, like they're all together, like they all agree. Actually, that's not the case. There is one subgroup within LGBTQ that this applies to, only one, not the rest. And I'm gonna gonna, gonna, gonna single this one out 
because Jesus Christ himself singles him out. And I'm, I'm going to single him out for us today. That is the transsexual person. Did you know that God talks about transsexual people in the Bible? Who knew that? Who knew that? Raise your hand. <laughs> First, let's give definitions. The T, of course, in LGBTQ stands for transgender. I'm not talking about transgender people per se. It is a subgroup of transgender. Within the LGBTQ world, this, this that I'm talking about today applies to the transsexual. And this is where it starts to get very complicated. As I've been researching and studying this, this, this is a very complicated thing they put together. And it's complicated by design. The more complicated you make it, the more difficult it is to argue against it. And so just keep on making it more and more confusing. And people just get tired of talking about it and leave it alone. Because this is really confusing. It really is. So, transgender person relates to a person whose sense of personal identity and gender does not correspond with their biological sex. They think they're a woman, but they're in a male's body, right? That's the transgender person. But within the transgender category, there is a subcategory called transsexual. The transsexual person is a person, is a, trans, is a transgender person whose bodily characteristics have been altered through surgery or hormonal treatment to bring them into alignment with their gender identity. So you got the transgender person who just thinks they're in the wrong body, then you got the transgender person who thinks he's in the wrong body and went and got a surgery to make himself be in the right one. Interesting. They changed their biological makeup. And that sounds complicated. I know it's complicated. And you know what? This complication is the most certain proof that this is man's doing and not God's. This level of complication is sure proof that this is man doing this and not God. Because humans have a tendency to make things so much more complicated than they need to be. God tends to keep things very simple. I remember when I was working, I was working somewhere and uh, they believed in dispensationalism. Dispensationalism normally means there are seven dispensations between the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation. And these different dispensations, God has had different rules and different uh, 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 values placed on the people and they, they, they were to follow those rules in that different dispensation. Dispensationalism used to be very popular, it's not very popular anymore. Only a couple of Christian colleges still even talk about it, dispensationalism. I was curious about it. So I went to a church, me and my wife, and they said, they announced that they were, they were gonna start teaching on dispensationalism the next Sunday. So I came back the next Sunday. I want to understand what the, how this thing works. Dispensationalism. This teacher gets up, he's going to explain it all to us, right? And the first thing he does is he passes out, this is the truth, he passes out a paper to each person maybe three times larger than this. Each one of us got his big paper. And on this paper, he had Bible verses and, and lines going here and a graph going there and explaining it that way. When I saw the complicated theology he was about to present, you know what I said? This is man's doing. God, no, no, God did not do all of that, no. That's so complicated and confusing, you'd have to have a PhD. Unless Jesus is only looking for PhDs, that, that's not it. That is man overcomplicating salvation. That's what we do, we complicate everything. This is complicated. 
Let that be a warning for us all. Anytime an explanation is overly complicated, you can believe that it is the work of men and not the work of God. Our God is a God of order. And along the spectrum of orderly things, simplicity is always the most orderly. That was a digression. Let me get back. I'm sorry. I'm taking so long. Anyway, the transsexual is a person who came to feel that his feelings disagreed with his biological sex, and so he had an operation to alter his sexual organs, his hormonal balances by medical means, and now he is forever altered. And in my opinion, this is the one who needs and deserves the most compassion, more than all of the LG and B and Q. This person deserves more compassion than all of them. Because this person, based on feelings, has made permanent changes to their biological makeup that cannot be taken back. He has locked in. I have more compassion for him all day long. I have more compassion for her all day long. This is the person who can least bear to imagine that they made a mistake. They can't handle considering the idea that they may have been wrong. It could destroy them psychologically. It could destroy them emotionally. It would devastate their lives if they realized they were wrong. They have to be handled very graciously with compassion and with love. The difference between most LGBTQ people and the transsexual is the difference between participation and commitment. You've heard the illustration. When you get your breakfast of eggs and bacon, they say, the chicken participated in making your breakfast. The pig gave it all. The pig was committed. The chicken just participated. LGBTQ people are participating, but the transsexual has committed. He's committed with blood. He has locked himself in for the rest of his life. And if his mind ever does change, he can't change back. We have to be more compassionate with him. The person who has made permanent alterations to their biological sex has made a commitment. The transsexual person may change his or her mind, but she cannot in most cases go back to the sex that she was assigned by God. The world would have us believe that all of these people, the LGBT, all of them, they believe us, have us believe that all of these people have made some permanent commitment that can't be changed. But that's not true. People change their minds every day. That's not true. People change their feelings every day. Your, your feelings, since you've been here today, your feelings have probably changed over a thousand times. People's feelings change every day. People's minds change every day. All they've got to do is change their mind and go to being whatever God made them to be, and that's all they have to do. The transsexual cannot do that. He's stuck. And so my message to him today, my message to her today, my message to the person who have made physiological changes and alterations to their body for whatever reason is that Jesus Christ himself actually made a space for you. It's very interesting. Jesus doesn't mention the L, the B, the G, the transgender, or the queer, but he specifically mentions the person who has had physical alteration to his body. 
Anybody curious as to what scripture I'm talking about? I said, I was going to save it to next week. I'm going to give it to you because I can't leave you guys hanging like that. I should have written it down. I was going to say it. I was going to get you excited and leave and tease you and leave. But okay, I got to say it. Jesus is having a conversation while I'm talking. Somebody find this in your Bible. Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples about marriage. And he says, for this, this cause shall a man leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. And for some odd reason, I don't know why this happened, but one of his disciples just said, but with the eunuch, it's not so. You remember that scripture? But with the eunuch, it's not so. So the man and woman get married, they can have children, all these things. But with the eunuch, his disciple says, it's not, it's not like that. Not with the eunuch. A eunuch is a person who has been castrated, who has had his sexual organs taken from him. Jesus mentions them. And listen to this compassion that Jesus shows. Jesus says, some eunuchs are made eunuchs by birth. They were born that way. They were born with DNA, with the right DNA and everything, but, but the, for some reason they didn't get the right sexual organs. Some men, some eunuchs become eunuchs by birth. That happens. Then he says, some people become eunuchs for religious reasons because they want to devote, devote their lives to God. That happens. But then he says this, some eunuchs, have become eunuchs because people made them that way. Some people have their physical organs taken because people made them that way. This only applies to transsexuals. This only applies to people who had physical alterations made to their bodies, but Jesus makes a special exception for these people. And I'm going to say something going to really blow your mind now. Jesus acknowledges this sub-sex. Read the text. He doesn't say some men. He doesn't say some men were born this way. He doesn't say some men. He doesn't say some women. He calls them what society has named them. He calls them eunuchs. That's just grace, man. Jesus found a workaround even for them. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus found a workaround. Oh, Calvin, you're just exaggerating now, bro. Nah, man, God does not honor any. No, God does honor the eunuch. You know how I know? The first person saved in the book of Acts was a eunuch. Never thought about that, have you? The first person saved in the book of Acts had physical alteration to his sexual organs. The first person saved. <laughs> what I'm telling you, church, is there is a way for us to work around this. We don't have to shun all of these people. There's a way for us to work around this. And I think taking that as the model, man, we can start finding workarounds where we can stay engaged with the LGBTQ community with grace and with compassion and with love, but especially the transsexual. So as I imagine this, what I imagine is a transsexual coming to this church. And he comes in and says, Pastor man, something happened to me. I feel like I made a bad decision. I don't feel like I'm a woman anymore. I wish I would have just stayed a man. My life is in ruins. I'm very good. I can say, son, calm down. Calm down. There is a place for you. 
You're not strange. You're not odd. In the Bible, there are many eunuchs. And this is going to be our homework for this, this week. This is your homework. Go through the Bible and find every eunuch that had a prominent place in Scripture. You're going to be surprised. It was a eunuch who made sure Daniel didn't have to eat the king's meat. Nehemiah was a eunuch. <laughs> Even the church sometimes we assume too much. We, we, we make assumptions because we read the Bible with our religious eye and we don't read with our spiritual eye. There are eunuchs all throughout the scriptures. These people are not vile in the eyes of God. They're not dirty and filthy in the eyes of God. Jesus respects these people. Because some people were made that way by other people. And so this is the reason, brothers and sisters, we have to be very careful with how we approach the LGBTQ community. Because some of these people who are making these choices would not have made these choices had there not been interference in their human development process. Some of these children are being made that way. And so as we approach them, I hope that we will approach them with some level of compassion. Because what has happened to them is a tragedy. The adults in their lives have influenced and manipulated and coerced them into choosing things that were against the will of God before they even had a will, before they even had the ability to reason. Seven-year-old Johnny said, I feel, like I'm a, I feel like I'm a girl, and you take the boy and start giving him pills at seven? You decrease his testosterone. Now he has a high-pitched voice. You're trying to train him how to be like a girl. Then he turns 20 and his friends start getting married and they start having babies and he's looking at all the beautiful families that he can never have now. A lot of these people are victims. A lot of these people are victims. Because people made them that way. I'm going to close for today, man. And uh, we'll come back next week. I'm going to pick up somewhere in there. But I'm going to talk about this until I exhaust it, until I exhaust the subject for us. I want to say the last time as, as I close, I was only talking today about biological sex. I wasn't talking about the rest of them, just the physical body, okay? So we don't get confused. Let's pray. Father God, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You said so yourself. You said that we are very good. But we pray for them, Father God, because many of them do not even realize that they're in danger of condemnation and of your judgment. We pray for our young people, Father God, that you will protect them in this world that is so confused and becoming so much more confused every day. Lord, our children are being taught confusion. Many of us never thought we would see this day that our children would be taught confusion. Lord, you know the situation that our hands are tied in the church and the world is tying our hands more and more every day. And we can't rescue them in the way that we want to. But your hand is not too short. And so we ask you, Father God, to go before us. 
And as recompense, we pray, Father God, that you would strike the spirit that is causing this confusion. That you would strike down every LGBTQ spirit that is blocking these people's way to follow your path. We come against that spirit in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We defy that spirit in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We rebuke you. We command that you take your hands off of these children. Father, you say that children are your heritage. They belong to you. And the world is laughing at you as you snatch them out, as they snatch them out of your hands. Bring your judgment, Lord. Bring your rescue. Through the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ, rescue them from the hands of these deceivers and manipulators. Save us, keep us safe, keep us righteous, keep us holy and walking upright before you. Not feeling self-righteous as if we ourselves are not just as bad. We just pray that none of us will be deceived into calling good evil and calling evil good. In Jesus' name. Amen.